Beloved, let's turn in our Bibles to the ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. Ninth chapter. And um, we're going to read from verse 11 all the way down to the end of the chapter. Verse 11 all the way down to the end of the chapter. Of course, I'm not going to preach all those verses. Surprise there. But we'll just have a look through them. Sadly, it's one of those uh, verses come in bunches kind of chapters. So we have to look at everything in its context. Read it in its context. Beginning in verse 11 to the end of the chapter. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of creation, he entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works, so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant, or of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of, eternal, of the eternal inheritance. Because a death has taken place for redemption, from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For if a will is valid only when people die, for a, sorry, for a will is valid only when, when people die, since it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was in inaugurated with blood for when every command has been made has been proclaimed by Moses uh, to all the people according to the law he took the blood of cats and goats along with water scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled the scroll itself and all the people saying this is the blood of the covenant that God has ordained for you in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle and all the articles of worship with blood. According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of these things in the heavens to be purified with the sac these sacrifices but the heavenly things themselves be purified with uh, better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into, the, into heaven itself so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. Did he not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest, he did, he did not do this to offer himself many times as 
the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Amen. Once again, there is a lesson in don't preach from a Bible that you haven't prepared your message from. Because oh, then you're like, that's not what I said last time I read it. Yes, or at least it was different language. Beloved, we are in that stage now where the author of this epistle is explaining to his hearers, readers, to you and to me, the necessity, the, the, the working of the new covenant that has been established by Jesus Christ. He's assuring them of the, the reality of the things that they're living in. That they no longer have to lean on the old life, on the old rituals, on the old traditions. That this break and this freedom that they're enjoying, this, this newness of life is the product of this new covenant in which you're in, this new agreement, this new regime that they're part of. Uh, they've become, and we've gone through many times, they've become unstable, unsure of themselves. All of this freedom that they're now enjoying is too much freedom. It's frightening to think that we can have too much freedom. Remember the... the the Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they were so indoctrinated with slavery. They were so conditioned to being in the little box that they had lived in that when they came out of Egypt and they entered into the, the, the desert or the promised land, or they were on their way to the promised land and now they were free, they couldn't help but staying and living and trying to continue as slaves. They they had that slave mentality that they couldn't get rid of. They needed someone to tell them what to do. And they needed to have something to cling to. Some sort of structure. Some sort of master. And it was difficult for them to enter into this freedom that God had now provided for them. And in the same way, when Christ offered himself as a sacrifice and established this new covenant... It was difficult for the Jews at the beginning to be set free from all of the old systems. And indeed, we who have gone through a, 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 um, a radical theological change, not just in what we believe, but also in our methodology, how we do things, it can be very difficult for people who have come, say, from the charismatic or from the Lutheran, from some established tradition even the Pentecostal, and enter into this new freedom where they don't have to have a prophet to tell them what to do. They don't have to have a, a system of ceremonies and traditions to make them justified. We, we know of several traditions, do we not, that 
practice the Lord's Supper as if it's the, a reset button every week. They can go live their lives and do whatever they want to do and be as unchristian as possible. Having no place for Christ, living a Christless life throughout the week. And then they come back on, on to the gathering of the church on a Sunday. And they take the Lord's Supper and it's like pushing the reset. They give their life back to Jesus, promising that it's going to be better this week. And they are clinging to that system. And when they come out of that system, and they understand that all of their sins from beginning to end, those that they have intentioned and those that they have done unintentionally, have been forgiven, and they're now living in this wonderful reconciliation with God. But they're still human. They still falter and feel. They still... And that they feel the need that they have to somehow in some way pay back to God. They have to give something or receive something to make them feel as if they are close to God. They need a feeling. Indeed, many of our beloved charismatic brethren whom I love greatly, they find it difficult without the feelings. They find it difficult without the, the songs. You know how we used to get on, isn't it? Some of us at least. They needed the, 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 the big show, the intensity to make them feel as if God had, was there. And they used those things as a security mechanism to stabilize them. To show them that God loved them somehow and by some way. And when they come out, it can be very scary for them. It can be very hard for them to make the adjustment from the big show to simple, plain, ordinary worship. Where they have to bring their conscious mind and their conscience, conscious heart to God. And it can be very difficult. That's often why we, we see that there is a, in the beginning, there, there an attempt at least to make charismatic Calvinistic churches. This week actually I was um, reading a book and uh, I was like, this is a really good book. really spoke to me. It was about hope. And I was like, I enjoyed this book. And it was about Thanksgiving. And I was like, oh, I really enjoyed this message. And I was like, I don't know who this man is. Who is this man? And the book was written in 2009. 11, published in 2012. And I was like, this man's really, really good. How do I not know this? And I did some deep dive into who the man was. And it turned out that he was a charismatic Calvinist. And I was like, ah. But it's still a really good message. I really enjoyed it. really blessed my heart. And I said, well, why, why do I not hear about this man or know about this man? Because it was a very famous book when it was written way back in 2012. And it turned out that that uh, his entire, the, not just the church, but the organization that he was a part of suffered terrible scandals, had terrible things of abuse for ter almost 10 years. Several of the leaders in the church had been involved in some sort of terrible child abuse scandal and that they had covered it up and that 
the church then had gone through, not just the church, but the organization had gone through many different um, court cases and it cut the legs off them. And I remember thinking, this is just not so terrible. But the problem wasn't really just with his positive doctor, but it was the fact that they were, they were basing so much of what they were doing on their feelings or on the systems of their own religion. They were talking about the baptisms of the Holy Spirit and all these other things. But sadly, there was no standing on the truth in those kind of core beliefs. And that's what's happening here really in this text. He is assuring these people who have lost their way, who are kind of longing for the old life to give them security and safety so they don't have to pay a cost so that they can remain invisible within the system. And he is assuring them that Christ has provided a greater security to them than the old life. That he has set them free here in this New Covenant part from verse 15 almost to the end, it breaks up into two parts from 15 to 22 and then from 23 down to the end of the chapter. He begins to address that the, the nature of, the, of Christ's sacrifice wasn't just for us who are now believing in him, but even for those who were in the Old Covenant Have you ever asked yourself, how did people in the Old Covenant, how did Old Testament believers get saved? How did they get born again? The the answer is that they were believing in the Messiah who was to come. They had put their faith that God would provide a Savior for them. And then Christ comes. And in that coming, there is provision. It's a retroactive effect. He is the effect of of his um, I just completely forgot the word. It begins with R. That's terrible. Out of my mind. Of Of that salvation goes back and cleanses them from their sins. When they are reconciled together with God. That's not the word, but anyway. Well, let's look at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called might receive the promise of the the eternal life because a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And again, here it is, that, that retroactive redemption that Christ has worked on the behalf of those in the past, that Jesus Christ is the mediator, the one who acts on our behalf. Not just the one who stands there, but the one who is active on behalf of those. And this is the full coverage, the full extent of the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So powerful is his sacrifice that it's not just for all those who will potentially believe in the future, or will believe in the future, But it's for all of those who believed in the past that his sacrifice blotted out all of their sins. Also in verse 14, if I can just dip back, which is a little thing that hit me this week. It says here in verse 14 
that He cleanses our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. That our salvation was given to us. Jesus Christ saves people, not just so that they can live life, but that they can serve Him. That they can serve the living God. You and I in our lives are called to serve the living God. It is the purpose of our being. It is what we were meant to do. All human beings, whether they're believers or not believers, whether they're whoever, whatever, whatever. We were designed to be in relationship with God and it is our ultimate function that we would serve Him. And it is only through the sacrifice, the redeeming sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're able to do that. And it really challenged me this week was I was trying to focus on the second, but this little tail bit caught me. That are we serving Him in every aspect of our life? Are we trying to bring all of our lives under the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ? In our jobs? For me, as a workaholic, that's... Very, I, uh, that's where I would focus most. But it goes beyond that. goes above that. goes to our families. Wives, husbands, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters. Are we serving God in that relationship? Are we being both salt and light in that relationship? Not that we have to be the mega, you know, like the big... All the time. But how much salt do you put in your food? A grain or two, don't you? Like a pinch? <laughs> My boy's like, nah, we put like handfuls of salt in our food. But how much light does it take when you're out in the forest? Right now where I live, you all know I live in the forest and it's dark where I live. It is dark. And the little street light in front of our house is not working and it is really dark where we live. And... Um, and as I said, that little street light in front of our house, that it's not really working at the moment. And uh, it's flashing on and off. It's more off than it is on, but occasionally it comes back on. And the difference that that little tiny one street light in the middle of the forest makes is amazing. Just ping! And all of, my, all of a sudden you can see the street again. Or if you're out in the forest, I was out in the forest the other night, took a walk, talking to God in my head. And... Uh, Far away, I see this little, this little beam of light, this little pinprick of light moving through the forest. And it was some crazy person with a headlamp running through the forest in the dark. Madness. But they didn't have a, a super powerful torch with them. They didn't have a, 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 something that turned the entire forest into daylight. All they needed was a little tiny headlamp and they were able to see their way and make their way through the forest, which is dark. I, they weren't running through the, the forest, forest, running through the forest path. Of course, you all understood that. And that again, as I, this week as I was beginning to try and prepare this message, I was really struck by the verse 14 that we can serve the living God Christ died, this sacrifice was made in order that you and I might live in right relationship to him, but also that we might 
be able to serve him. It is the natural state of the Christian that we are to serve him. And that we are to guard that. We are to watch over that and, and keep it. This world in which we live bullies and manipulates and tries to intimidate us as much as possible. In that we are to keep our mouths closed, to keep our light under a bushel, to try and keep as much salt out of the food as possible, to allow the rot. But you and I are called. You and I are commanded. For you and I, it is as natural as breathing to serve God, and therefore we must. In every relationship, in every situation, in every moment of every day, whether that comes to guarding our minds and guarding our hearts from fear. Um, again, this week as I was doing a deep dive in this, uh, I was reminded of, uh, if anyone has life verses, I don't really do life verses, but then I, 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 um, there's this one of the particular verses that has really stuck with me through all of my life used to have it on, on a sweatshirt when I was a young man and part of a, 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 an evangelistic team that went around the villages where I lived and we used to do outreach, door-to-door work and we had used these sweaters way back in the 90s when sweaters were cool, you know. And now they're hoodies. But, uh, and on the front that had a picture of two large feet, you know, two feet walking. And, uh, and it had this Bible verse on it. And it's from uh, Joshua 1, 6 to 9. Be strong and be courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to your fathers to give them as an inheritance. Above all, be strong and very courageous to observe carefully the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn to it, uh, from it to the right or to the left. So that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate upon it. Think about it. Day and night. So that you might be careful to observe everything that is written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and very courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Is that a good verse? I mean, if you're going to have a life verse, that's a good verse to have, isn't it? And I remember way back in the day when I was like 18 or whatever, you know, and had hair and didn't have a beard and didn't have a big belly. And I, I was, I did a, a, a study on this, these three verses or four really, but the six to nine and uh, it's just, haven't I, do not be afraid or discouraged. And the word is, don't be paralyzed with fear. Don't be hesitant. And the word discouraged, which is a good word here, it, just, it means to be downtrodden, to give up, to be sad. We are commanded to. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, the Bible says. You know, and, and as charismatics once we used to think that was like, you know, like superhero power. 
But the mighty power is that sanctifying power of God that cleanses us and keeps us from sin, that protects us. Be strong and courageous. We are commanded to guard our minds and to guard our hearts. Strong in our head, brave in our hearts. That we're not to give up or to give in in the face of all oppression. But that was just a, a by the way, by the way. That wasn't really the message. It's got nothing to do with what I prepared this week. But that has sat with me all week. I know that there's someone here that feels weak and afraid or depressed or discouraged. But I want you to know that God has called us to serve him. And that you might feel that you're letting him down. You might feel that you're failing at that. But this is the joy and the glory of the new covenant. That there is space and place for you. That even in our failure, even in our faltering steps, that we're not what we should be, that there is preparation made for you. That there is grace provided for you. If the sacrifice of Jesus was so powerful that it was retroactive retroactive in its effect. It went back all the way to the garden and cleansed all of those people who were believing in him from their sins. That power in our life is able to keep us. That he is telling us here and now... That the sacrifice of Jesus was so powerful, so intense, so effective that it keeps us. The God isn't judging you according to what you have done or what you haven't done. Thank God for that. It's not according to how faithful you are. It's according to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Remember here that he points out that if the blood of bulls and goats was enough to grant people physical access into the temple, into the holy place, into the holy of holy places. And that was just a a, a pantomime, a sign, an instruction, something that we look at so we could understand when we saw the reality. Jesus Christ and his sacrifice provides us something more than just the outward. That has brought us into the very throne room, the front room. We're, we're in the sitting at God's feet, as it were. In the new covenant, we are shown that Jesus has made a way that is not dependent upon us. It's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon you bringing a sacrifice. Remember in the Old Testament, it was the person who was offering the sacrifice was bringing the sacrifice. And, it was, and the covenant was made between them and, and God. You, know, you would go to the temple, you would bring your little pigeon or whatever else you brought. Poor people brought pigeons. I would probably bring a pigeon. And you'd bring your sacrifice and they would, and they would do all the stuff they had to do to it. 
And then you would, they would put blood upon your earlobe, you know, and do the wee sign upon you. And that would be a sign to you that, yes, it's been acceptable and you're done. And then you'd go, yeah, and, but then, of course, the blood would wash off and you'd still be the same person that you were. But in Christ, in the new covenant, it's not you bringing the sacrifice. It's not you offering it up. It's Christ on your behalf. His righteousness and His sacrifice is so great, so sufficient, that it only had to do it one time and for all. The Bible says here in verse 22, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was a sign in the Old Testament of what it would take. How serious your sin was. We think so small. We think, well, you know, it's just a little lie. It's just a little thing. It's affecting nobody really. It's a tiny thing. And we don't see the consequences of our actions towards God. How our sin, our negative actions and reactions towards one another are an offense and a rejection of him and his perfect law. How we deny him and disbelieve in him. And how serious that sin is. We are rejecting, I can live without you. You who are the source of life. You who are the source of everything. And we in our sin say, I don't need you. You who give me life, who maintain my life, who provide for me. I don't need you. We don't realize and recognize that we are separating ourselves from him and that we're denying him. The only way back to him is a life for a life. Must start again afresh. All those things that we have done that have separated us from him must be removed. All of those offenses, all of those slights, all of those breaking of relationships. You ever wonder or ever wanted to just start anew? Have a new. You've said something to someone, you have an argument with someone, husband or wife, father, daughter, whatever, whatever. And you say something, you say something that you wish you didn't say. You wish you could take it back. You wish you could just start afresh, begin the day again, like Groundhog Day. Have you ever seen that film? Where you just do the same day again and get everything right. But sadly, in real life, we can't, can we? Sadly, we can't take back things that have been said, things that have been done, hurts that have been made, slights that have been given, sins that have been committed. We can't take them back. And as if we can't take them back, between one another. We can't take them back between us and God. It needs to be replaced. And in Christ that's what we have. We have a replacing of the old life with the new. All of our unrighteousness, the Bible says, has been laid upon him. All of those careless words. All of those actions and reactions that we have done. That we've committed in a negative sense have all been laid upon 
Him, that is Jesus Christ. And He, in return, gives us all of His righteousness, all of His right responses. Jesus never one day in His life wished that He could re- restart the day. Never one day in His life, never one moment did He ever say the wrong thing or feel the wrong way. Perfect And the Bible tells us that that righteousness has been given to us in order that we might have a right relationship with God. Jesus Christ entered into that place to provide for you a certainty. And that's what the writer of the Hebrews is really trying to show to his readers. And you and I can kind of get messed and and lost in the the whole sprinkling of the blood. The whole covenants, wills. And we kind of get lost in this part. It's very hard for us to see through it. We look at this, if you're like me, and you think, well, this happened. He's talking about events here that happened two and a half thousand years ago. A form of religion that hasn't been practiced in over a thousand years. Two thousand years, sorry. How and what way does it benefit us now in our lives? We who are so far from this kind of religion. None of us have grown up in a religion where the priest has slaughtered sheep. You can't imagine going to the Lutheran church on a Sunday and I'm holding up a wee lamb. Lovely lamb. All the time like, oh. And then he just cuts its throat and sprays blood all over the the confirmation children. It's not going to happen. None of us grew up in that. That man would be put into prison if he did that. And yet there is a significance here, of course, for us. In that we who have left something, some form of religion, some form of religious understanding. And have moved into a freedom, the newness of life. Christ and Christ alone, that then benefits us. The understanding that Jesus Christ is our mediator. Think of the the people from the Reformation time, 500 years ago, when they were coming out of the religious institution of the Roman Catholic Church, where sacrifice was being continually made. A bloodless sacrifice, of course. Where they they insisted that human beings still needed some help to kind of reach God. Whether it be a a mediator, whether it be a pastor or a priest, whether it be a saint or an angel or the mother of Jesus. And you have to go through this complex system or religion to reach Jesus, if indeed you could ever reach him. And yet it was through the study of books like Hebrews and these portions here that helped under people to understand that we have been set free that we no longer need an earthly mediator because the our heavenly mediator the one who stands on our behalf is sufficient maybe like you you like me often feel a failure oh lord i'm just not what i want to be not what i think i should be oh And the answer is, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I can't lie to you. Absolutely right. 
But thank God that my relationship, my, my, my service isn't dependent upon my goodness or my righteousness or my worthiness. It's dependent upon the righteousness, the worthiness, the rightness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him and Him alone. We have the Five Solas Conference every single year. And every single year we have this, I have the same conversation with, with particular people there. But it's by Christ and Christ alone. We must sit secure in that fact that Jesus has secured for us the way. It's not dependent upon your goodness, your mercy. You might feel unworthy and that's great and wonderful. I, when we, on Friday when we were at prayer and, uh, and I was still feeling kind of like hungry. That's the word in Swedish, isn't it? Because I hadn't been feeling well. Sore throat all week. Taking tablets. Just oh, deflated. And I said this, Joel, you know, I just, I just feel like, you know, oh, and uh, there's no feelings in it. I'm just like, ah. Oh. And I said, but this is how it really is all the time. You know, this is, this is how reality is. It's not about my, my being, oh, yes, let's do this. But here now I'm seeing the reality that I'm trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. Not dependent upon my feelings, whether I feel like doing it or whether I don't feel like doing it. Because, you know, I really didn't feel like doing it or didn't feel like doing it. Really didn't feel like I could talk to God. But because of Christ and what Christ has done, that he has offered himself up for a one-time sacrifice, says here in verse 28, So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is our great hope. That Jesus Christ will appear a second time. He died once, one time for all. But that wasn't the end of it. it, it it's not a case of, you know, it's, that was so long ago and now it's forgotten. The new covenant is that he will return for those for whom he has purchased. Those whom he has restored. For those whom he has made away. The new covenant is that I will come again, not I as a guy, but the Lord Jesus Christ shall return. This is our great hope. This is our security. This is what we as Christians live for. Not for health and wealth. Not for goodness and happiness in this life that we're living now. For success in business or whatever else, or careers or whatever else, that God will bless me now, and I'm happy in my life. I, I, excuse me, I want you all to be happy and blessed. I don't want to have a depressed church where people are like, oh, I'm such a failure. Please don't be like that. But understand that the point of our lives, of our faith, is that we are waiting for him to return. That our lives are lived in such a way as we bring glory to him 
and that we honor him and that we represent him. Beloved, are you waiting for him? Is your life a life of expectancy? I don't know when he'll come. I don't know if it'll be today, tomorrow, or 10 years, 100 years, or 1,000 years. I can't tell you when he shall return. I don't know. I wouldn't even guess. I won't even speculate. No man knows the time or the hour. But I can tell you this. Is he came the first time. And as all the prophecies from the Bible, the Old Testament, were fulfilled in the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the, the dot and the stroke of the T. So exact. So will the second coming of Christ come. And he will bring salvation. I love that idea. We, we, we talk about we have been saved. And we've been born again. But what we are is not the fullness of what we will be. When he returns we will be set free from these earthly bodies. We will be glorified or receive that glorification and we will be renewed and transformed as the caterpillar into the butterfly as the seed into the plant there will be a transformation and a change and that the fullness of salvation that which we have received as a as an endowment a promise we will receive the fullness of it Jesus Christ is the mediator, the one who established, made this contract on our behalf. I like the way in this Bible it talks about the covenant as being the will, a will, something that has been promised. Christ died, and now it is available. But the thing is, with Jesus Christ, he rose again. And not only is he the, the promiser, the supplier of it, but he's also the distributor of it. So you and I then must always remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who upholds and secures this new covenant. It's not you and I. It's not a covenant between you and me. It's not an agreement that was made between us and God, it was between Christ and God. And for as long as Christ lives, for as long as his righteousness remains, that covenant, that agreement stands and remains. And we are the beneficiaries of it. We are the beneficiaries of it. You are who you are today because of Jesus Christ. Your relationship, your reconciliation with God is there not because of what you've done or what you haven't done, not because of how you feel. I would have us, I know feelings are really important, people. I'm not an unfeeling kind of guy. But I would have our, our, our faith devoid from feeling. I just don't feel like a kind. I just don't feel like a Christian. I'm not knocking anyone, but that's. I would have us understand that our faith is established not on how you feel, but on what you know to be true. What you know that he has done on your behalf. We used to talk about giving your heart to Jesus. And people thought that was giving your feelings to Jesus. 
giving your feelings to Jesus. Ask him into your heart and he'll make you feel nice and warm and cozy and good. But when we talk about giving your heart to Jesus, it's that will. It's the part of you that makes the decisions. It's the core, decisive, internal part of you that leads you, guides you. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you've given your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, everything that is in you. But even then, we must understand that it's not that in itself. It's not your faith that has saved you. It is Christ that has saved you. So again, ending, because I want to end briefly. I would have you pull back to that verse in first, or in Joshua still. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'll read that again. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We in the, in the New Covenant, we who are the beneficiaries of the New Covenant, we can say with all certainty that our God is with us wherever we go. But there is still the command to be strong, strong of mind, strong of heart, and to be courageous, not to be cowardly, not to be despondent, not to be full of despair, and to be full of defeat. But to remember that our God reigns, that Jesus Christ has won, and that he will return. And bring salvation to all who have believed in him. Amen. Let's stand right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of Christ. We thank you for all of your efforts on our behalf. Lord, we know that we are not deserving. We know, Lord, that we... Nothing we have ever done could deserve the life that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus has done all things on our behalf. We pray, O oh God, that you would give us a greater measure of faith, that we might rest in him. Lord, that we might be secure in him. Help us, Lord, not to be so dependent upon our feelings. Help us not to be, Lord, overcome by despair or, or defeat. But Lord, to remain in the victory that has come through him, knowing that you will return. Lord, that you will return. You will bring salvation to all those who are waiting upon you. Oh Lord, we pray these things for your glory. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.